Welcome to the You, Me and the GP radio show, a health exercise and nutrition show for over 40s who want to get back to their best. Discover how to keep yourself fit, healthy and full of energy. Each week, your hosts Rich Clark and Dr. Mark Daniels will answer your questions and interview special guests. Rich Clark is an exercise scientist and nutritionist who helps over 40s thrive, not just survive in today's busy world. Dr. Mark Daniels is a practicing GP with 25 years experience. He's had notable success with his patients using simple dietary changes rather than medication to provide improvements. Living in Wales with their families, they see the effect poor health has on people on a daily basis and how easily it can be turned around. Sit back and enjoy our tips and advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of You, Me and the GP. I'm here today with uh, Dr. Nigel Plummer, who's a microbiologist and uh, he's very uh, well um, respected and, and well known in, in the circles uh, that he works in. And uh, I'd like to say hello to Nigel. Hello, Rich. How are you? Great. Thanks, Nigel. Good. Um, thank Good. you for coming on. It's fantastic for everybody to hear what you've got to say today. We're going to cover things uh, for everybody to know. Uh, I'd like to do this at the top of the show. We're going to go through the gut today and the importance of having a healthy gut. We're going to speak about antibiotics and probiotics and how they uh, can work together. And we're also going to talk about uh, things like fish oils, inflammation and disease. So stay tuned for the next half an hour, 40 minutes. Um, Nigel, if you want to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and why I've kind of chosen to bring you on to the show today to tell everybody uh, about the gut and uh, all this sort of stuff. Well, I'm not sure there's, there's that much to tell, but so I've been working in this area for maybe 25 years now. I, I started off my I suppose, career in, in uh, Pfizer, the pharmaceutical company, and um, started off researching and uh, in pr- production of antibiotics. Um, then through a sort of wide and, and, and complicated course, um, ended up um, uh, running um, a nutraceutical company. And, and over the years, we've developed expertise, um, particularly in um, certain areas. And, uh, and those have been probiotics and the human microflora um, and the impact that the human microflora and probiotics have on, on gut health and immune health. And also we've, we've done a lot of work on um, omega-3 fatty acids, so the fish oil type of um, omega-3s. And again, looking at the impact um, that omega-3s have on, on health and uh, disease prevention. Um, so so that, that, that's, that's in, in, in the context. Um, uh, and... I think what really sets us out is that um, we have a, a research group here. Um, we have about 12 research scientists, and um, and we do um, work um, on our own um, within Caltech and um, Alimon, uh, and also in collaboration with universities. And this is, includes Cambridge University, Cardiff University, Swansea University, Sheffield. Um, uh, and, and, though, and that work tends to be clinical trial work where we're working with humans and um, uh, and we've published a lot of that research and that 
and that really does set us aside from from most other companies um, in this area. And most of the research that, that we've done is, as I say, it's in it's in the the element of the human uh, microflora and the impact that has on on health and disease, and on omega three fatty acids and the impact that that has on health and disease. Fantastic. Well, that's great. That give everybody a little bit more information. So, Nigel, you're a microbiologist, and um, I know, I think it might have been in 2012. Was that the year that the, the baby trial? Yes. We, um, yeah, it was two, 2000. Do you want to tell everybody a little bit about that? Because that was actually running Swansea, wasn't it? It was. Um, it, was a, it was a very large uh, trial, and, and just a, the sort of um, headline data of that, if you like. What, what, what we were looking at doing was um, looking at the effects that probiotics might have in preventing... Um, childhood allergies. Um, uh, children develop allergies and, 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 and tend to, to develop things like eczema and reaction to um, uh, certain allergens like uh, cow's milk and egg. And that, egg, that eczema that they develop during um, uh, the first part of childhood, in the first two, two years of life, that sensitization to those allergens then leads on very often to uh, the further development of asthma, rhinitis, so hay fever, that kind of thing. Um, uh, uh, but it's expressed as eczema first of all. So what we were looking at doing was looking at the whether by giving babies probiotics and indeed the mums when they're pregnant in the last trimester of pregnancy, whether given that the mothers in the final trimester of pregnancy probiotics and given the babies probiotics for the first six months, whether that could prevent the sensitization to allergens and indeed prevent uh, the development of eczema. Bearing in mind that if we could show an effect, that's for very many people, it's a lifelong effect in that if you, if you stop that sensitization taking place, they don't become allergic and they won't become allergic then for the rest of their lives. Wow. One of the things that's, that's, that's really important, um, probably 80% of all allergies, when people say they've got um, asthma or hay fever, 80% of all allergies develop in the first two years of life. They don't develop after that. That sensitization takes place in the first two years of life. So preventing it um, is a, is, is, uh, could be of, of huge benefit. And there's nothing in the medical arena currently for preventing allergy. I mean, there isn't anything that the, 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 the doctor can say, um, right, I'm going to give you this to, to prevent allergy. Um, there's some evidence that breastfeeding um, re reduces the risk somewhat, but it's still, allergy has still been rising exponentially almost in the last 50 years, to the point where now it's considered that maybe 17, 18, 19% of all people in the UK mm -hmm. have, um, have a true allergy. So, so given that as the uh, background, what we did was we recruited um, 450 uh, mothers, um, or mothers to, to be, um, and we divided them into two groups. Um, one took the probiotic, the mums, and then gave the probiotic to their babies for the first six months, and one and the other group gave it, uh, were given a dummy capsule, um, or a dummy product. And... And what we did was we, at the end of six months and the end of two years, measured two things. We measured the sensitization to a whole range of allergens, things like pollen and house dust mite and egg and milk. And we also measured the level of eczema, so the level of, of um, allergic eczema that these babies had. The headline data of that 
was that at the end of the of the two years we'd reduced sensitization to any allergen by 50% and we reduced eczema by 50%. So we'd halved the risk of these kids developing allergy. And that's well, like a you know a lifelong a lifelong benefit. And if you think that the treatment of um, allergy, I think I'm right in saying in terms of a single um, uh, treatment, it's in the top three of um, medical costs from the NHS point of view in terms of in terms of drug use and so on. Right. And so yes. Forth. Yes. So, so massive potential to save massive, a lot of money. Massive potential to save a lot of money and massive potential to save um, a lot of. You know, I mean, allergies are not a, a life-threatening disease, typically. Mm. I mean, asthma can, can be a killer, mm. um, but typically you don't associate allergies with being a life-threatening disease, but they're distressing di- But a disease. pain in the arse. Yeah, yeah they particularly are a big pain asthma. in the arse. I mean, yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a nasty disease, and as I say, um, it is that there are, there are, there are uh, several deaths every, every month mm. from allergy, mm. from uh, So could... Um, People still gain benefits from taking probiotics. Obviously, as an adult, if they've got allergies now, it's worth them Good taking the probiotics anyway. They've missed the boat. Obviously, you know any mothers out there, you know mothers to be, can benefit from that information yep. there. But the rest of us now, can we benefit? Yes, I mean the the, the evidence is not as. Um, strong overall in terms of of treatment of a current allergy compared to prevention of the allergy um, developing in the first place. Nevertheless, having said that, um, uh, on most people, and this is both anecdotal and um, from from clinical trials, most people who take probiotics will see a reduction in their symptomology. So if if they have, let's say, a severe asthma, they have severe eczema, um, they'll see a, a, a decrease in the severity and the symptoms um, of those allergies. Right. So it's worth. Um, it's worth. It's absolutely yeah. worth doing, and it's certainly for months, worth doing yeah. for for uh, children. So yeah. so if if the mums have have missed, let's say uh, that first period of life, that first six months of life, but they've got a two-year-old or a three-year-old, and they've got eczema, and they they think, well, you know, maybe this will be lead on to developing yes. asthma. Um, then very, very much uh, worthwhile um, right. put in those yeah. uh, toddlers, if you like, yes. on probiotics. Fantastic, great. I wanted to mention the baby uh, study because it, it was published in The Lancet, Nigel, wasn't it? And well, no, it wasn't in the no. end. I mean, it, 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 was, it, was, it was actually it was presented at the um, uh, Royal Society for Paediatrics, yeah. um, and it, was, um, it went down very, very well there. And it's being published, in fact, the, the, it, was, it was published in, in a brief form, mm. and that was in 2012, and it's going to be published in its full form, literally in two or three months' time. Oh well, that's fantastic! I'll uh, probably uh, put that up on a link to that yes, on absolutely. the blog uh, once it's it's all up there. Great. So I wanted to get stuck into now the real topic, uh, the main topic, I suppose, which is the gut. Can you tell everybody why it's important to have a healthy gut and um, exactly what the microflora is? Yes, I mean <laughs> it's a. We kind of think of our of our gut as being the, as being the organ where we digest and assimilate foods, and it obviously do, does do that, and so it's very very important from that point of view. 
But it also is, is, I mean, for instance, it's our biggest immune center. So most of our immune system, 80% of our, of our immune system is, is concentrated in the gut. Similarly, um, in terms of hormone production, most of our hormones are produced in the gut. So you know, the, 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 the gut is really central um, uh, to so many of, uh, or so much of our functioning, over and above what we consider to be the, the sort of primary function, which is the uh, digestion and, and absorption of nutrients. So now we we understand, for instance, that, that that there's connections from the gut to the brain, and so and so if we and we can maybe by decreasing, if you like, um, pain sensors in the gut, we can have an effect upon peripheral pain, for instance. This type of thing is now becoming um, uh, clearer, um, and most of, and a lot of this mediation, a lot of the a lot of the um, uh, if you like priming of our of our immune system, priming of the hormonal centers in the gut, is conducted by this microflora that we have. And um, let me just describe that very very briefly. Um, we acquire this um, this microflora, and people I think realize now what what we mean by microflora. It's the, it's the friendly bugs basically, mm -hmm. and 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 we acquire them as soon as we're born, and we have this microflora uh, for the entirety of, of our lives. So we, um, uh, so we're we're living with it for for all of our lives. In fact, when we die, it's our bugs that start to uh, consume us and decompose us. So they actually survive us in the end. Um, uh, uh, but but. But um, so we um, acquire these this microflora at birth, and it's quite significant. I mean, it actually weighs about three pounds, so it's the same weight as our as our liver, and it's now considered by most biologists and, phy and physiologists to be almost another organ because we do have it for as long as we live, and it is it's important um, in an, in a whole range of different ways. One, for instance, is that our microflora primes our immune system during infancy and then throughout our lives. So if we didn't acquire a microflora, we'd never develop a competent immune system. Our immune system would always be compromised. So it's compulsory for us to have um, a microflora to have a competent immune system. It's that important. Um, and if we didn't have a competent immune system, then we'd be exposed to all sorts of diseases and autoimmune diseases. And what the microflora does is it makes the immune system work in the appropriate way and so so for instance we obviously know about the immune system and, and the immune system is what we have to, to prevent infections but it's also our immune system that stops us getting autoimmune disease it's the the, the proper re regulation of the immune system stops us getting autoimmune disease and autoimmune disease is is a dysregulation of the of the immune system and allergy is a dysregulation of the immune system as well so so we're beginning to understand that the that the microflora um, within the gut um, uh, uh, has a an incredibly important role. Okay, that's fantastic. So we've got this kind of um, barrier, uh, the immune system and the microflora in the gut, and we've just been talking about perhaps an ideal world uh, situation where everything's all hunky-dory. Generally given we live in here in South Wales and that the average person's health is pretty shot, 
What would you say the main or the, the, the average state of people's guts around here at the inside, um, uh, you know, with the, the microflora? Would you say there are a lot of them um, out of balance and things? Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's if, if, we, if we say um, that we have this um, uh, microflora and it's generally stable throughout our lives and, and, um, uh, and it's functional throughout our lives unless we do something to disrupt it. And probably um, the most common event that, 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 that we have and the most devastating event from the, from the microflora's point of view that, that, we, that we do that will disrupt the microflora is take antibiotics. So antibiotics are known to have um, uh, a massive um, uh, devastating effect on, on the microflora, not, not necessarily in terms of eliminating it entirely for a very long period of time, but for making it go out of balance. Mm. Let me explain a little bit about that. Um, uh, if you take antibiotics, then, then what is likely to, 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 to be the case is that um, during that, that week-long course of antibiotics or two-week-long course of, of antibiotics, you will e eliminate um, uh, uh, a certain number and a certain ratio, a certain um, proportion of the microflora that you have, particularly in the upper uh, digestive tract. And you might say, well, then, okay, so what then happens when you stop taking antibiotics? What happens when you stop taking antibiotics is that the microflora grows back, but the balance of the microflora that grows back might be very, very different to what you had in the first place. So, for instance, one of the things that people may have heard of is, is bugs that are resistant to antibiotics, so antibiotic-resistant bugs being a real problem, things like mm. MRSA, mm. Clostridium difficile, very difficult to actually kill now because they've become resistant to a lot of antibiotics. Well, if you think about it, if you're taking antibiotics and the antibiotics get rid of a lot of your microflora, one of the types that are not affected by the antibiotics are the resistant types. And you might have very small numbers in your gut before you take the antibiotics, but as they be, because they're not affected by the antibiotics, all of a sudden they go, oh, great, well, the competition is gone, right. and they multiply like like crazy and so at the end of that at the end of the antibiotic period you've got not only an unbalanced flora because you've got these other organisms that have overgrown yes but a lot of that overgrowth is in resistant microorganisms that could be potentially pathogenic so what you tend to see is things that are associated now with an imbalance of the microflora so you think ha things like antibiotic associated diarrhea you hear of Clostridium difficile in, in hospitalised patients. That's purely an overgrowth as a result of taking antibiotics. Right. And the other thing that is now being related to antibiotics in a major way is irritable bowel syndrome. Mm. So it's now estimated that maybe 20% of people suffer from some degree in mm. terms of irritable bowel syndrome. And most of that is now seen as being connected with taking antibiotics. Now you might say, well, you know, how is that? And it doesn't necessarily present itself um, immediately after you've finished antibiotics. So, so for instance, somebody may be taking antibiotics three or four months ago, finishes antibiotics within two weeks, everything seems fine, and then two or three months later starts to get symptoms of IBS. 
and they don't necessarily relate no, you wouldn't. to the antibiotics you've no, taken two no. or three months ago, but that relationship is definitely is becoming stronger mm. and stronger and stronger well, as more and more evidence builds. Right. Well, um, just to go back one step, sorry, to the antibiotics, if people combine uh, probiotics with antibiotics, can you tell everybody the benefits of that? Um, yes. Um, You've researched this, I know. Yeah, and it, I mean, we've, we, we've now published um, um, several uh, clinical trial papers on this. And, and we're not the only ones. I mean, there's, there's other research groups throughout the world who are doing a similar thing. And so, it, so the information is is um, combining to, 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 to tell a very consistent and quite powerful story. And that is that if you take probiotics um, with antibiotics or associated with antibiotics, um, and I'll explain that what I mean by that presently, but, but if you take uh, probiotics associated with antibiotics, then you can prevent some of these events happening. What you we just spoke can, about, You can yeah. prevent the overgrowth of these undesirable types of bacteria. You can prevent the overgrowth of Clostridium difficile that gives you Clostridium difficile associated diarrhea. You can potentially prevent the onset of, of irritable bowel sy sy syndrome by taking probiotics. And what the probiotics do is um, while you're taking the, the probiotics, although it seems almost um, um, uh, uh, the opposite of what, of, what, of what should be the case. So you think, well, if I'm taking probiotics, doesn't the antibiotic kill the, the probiotic? And the answer is, yes, it does, almost certainly. But when you're taking the, the probiotic, the probiotic is active for a, a limited period of time. But in that limited period of time, it's really important. And what we what we know happens is that during that limited period of time, the overgrowth that I've just described is stopped by the use of the, of the probiotic. The probiotic might then be, be then killed by the antibiotic, and just when those bugs are looking at the, 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 the undesirable ones, looking at overgrowing again, then you next day you take the, the probiotic again. So it, it pulls that overgrowth down again. And so if you keep on doing that while, you're, while you are taking the antibiotic, you effectively stop this overgrowth taking place. Yeah. I can give a first-hand uh, story of, of that um, actually working as well. I met you a while back on a course, uh, on a Phil Richards course, and I went home as usual, as I've been doing for many years, getting home from university and these courses and things, really enthusiastic, coming through the door and saying to my mum and dad, I'm going to fix whatever problem you've got, because I've learned some new stuff, you know. So anyway, my mum's really resistant to this, she's old school and if the GP doesn't give it to her she's not taking it sort of thing. But anyway, this time now, she was taking antibiotics and I said to her, right, try these uh, probiotic capsules, your probiotics. So she took them alongside and she wasn't, you know, very optimistic as she's, she's not of these sorts of uh, rubbish supplement type stuff. And um, the problem with my mother, she always would take antibiotics, and every time, for 20 years, she'd always get thrush mm. afterwards. Mm. She won't mind me saying, I've told this story to many people before, she always got thrush after she took antibiotics. So she took the antibiotics and probiotics, and for the first time in 20-odd years, she didn't get thrush. So it definitely, definitely works, guys. And uh, please, if, if we can give you one thing from this podcast today, is that whenever you take antibiotics... 
please combine them with probiotics and it's like garlic bread it, it is the future uh, you know um, yes I mean I, yeah I think <laughs> I think it's uh, and I think that, that, that this is not um, just us saying this now I think that within um, the next 10 years or so that, that, that the combined use of probiotics alongside antibiotics will be embraced by the medical community overall yeah. and in some parts of the world it, it already is I mean you know in many um, countries now pharmacists if they're d- dispensing an antibiotic will recommend taking a probiotic as well yeah, fantastic great that's lovely to hear so uh, we kind of covered IBS and things like that there as well. Um, so basically, probiotics are going to be beneficial to all of those sorts of conditions, even asthma and eczema. Um, for babies, for the allergies, we covered all that. That's great. The antibiotics and uh, my mother's urinary tract infections and, and stuff. There. I mean, one of the things, one of the things, Richard, that, that we that we are going to be publishing next year. Mm. Uh, sorry, it's going to be this year during the autumn. We did a trial last year on um, children, and these are children between six and nine years of age. And what we were looking at was respiratory tract infections over the winter time, so, you know, colds and flu. Yes. And we were measuring things like, you know, blocked nose and sneezes and, and sore throats and fever, all the things that you associate with, you know, colds and flu du- during the winter. And what we found was that we got, um, and this is, this would be published at, at, in, in the autumn of this year, what we found is, again, it was half the kids were on the probiotic and half the kids weren't. What we found is the kids who were on the um, uh, uh, probiotic, there was a 40% reduction in the incidence of upper respiratory tract symptoms, and there was a 30% reduction in the duration of the upper respiratory right. tract symptoms. So it, not, it, it stopped both the frequency yeah. and the intensity of the of the. Um, uh, uh, of, of the yeah, in, is, yeah. uh, uh, infection, and it was, and it was measured in a very practical way because what that expressed itself in was that the kids who were on the probiotic they had thirty percent less time off school, so thirty yeah. percent less absenteeism than yeah. the kids who were not on the probiotic. Yeah. It's a fantastic result, but again, it just shows you that the sort of the the the. Um, Variety yeah. um, uh, of, of uses, of uses and benefits. Being, yeah, benefits yeah. that are being used. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, the if anybody, obviously, people are going to be thinking, oh, where can I get myself some probiotics? The probiotics which I use are, are called Pro- Proven. Is that Proven. the ones you want to? Yeah, Proven probiotics. So just type that into Google. And also, if you want to go specifically to, to a website, it's called. Alimon, and that's uh, A L I M E N T dot co dot UK. Um, oh, sorry, Alimon Nutrition. So it's uh, nu- the word nutrition after Alimon as well, dot co dot UK. It'll be in the show notes uh, below the podcast, that will anyway, so you don't really need to write any of that sort of stuff down. So we're going to move on to Nigel's next uh, favourite subject, uh, which is uh, fish oils. Yep. Now, tell us about the, the the benefits of fish oils and how you know so much about fish oils <laughs> well um, I'm not sure I know that much rich but <laughs> but, um, but no we again we've been working on on fish oils and um, uh, for, for many years now and, and um, I suppose it goes back uh, to the sort of previous generation your mum my mum my mum certainly I'm older than you a lot older than you but um, but when I was a kid, my mum 
um, every day she used to sort of press me in the corner of the room and give me this, it wasn't a teaspoonful, it was like a dessert spoonful of cod liver oil. And uh, for those older people on, on the podcast, I mean, she then followed that with a, a, a huge spoonful of malt extract. And so some, of the, some of the people I'm sure will actually um, recognise that, and going back to their childhood. But that was before we knew anything about it. What, what, what we knew about um, fish oils then um, was that they were generally beneficial. They were good for your health and they were good for the brain. How that connection came in when we really had no idea of the biology sort of 50 years ago, I have no idea. But those things, those old traditional reasons for why we used to give cod liver oil um, have now become, um, if you like, proven. Um, uh, we do know that, I mean, okay, if we go back, there are two what we call fatty acids that are really only found in fish oils. In terms of our diet, it's only um, these two fatty acids. One is called DHA and one is called EPA. And these um, two fatty acids are not found really in any other part of our diet except for fish, and particularly oily fish. Um, or if it's let's say um, white fish, the the livers of those of those fish. So oily fish like sardines, herrings, mackerel, or livers of white fish like halibut and, and and cod, contain high levels of EPA and DHA. Now, what do we know about these two fatty acids and why are they so important? Why has this omega three thing become such a big deal? Well, let's just go through one or two facts. First of all. We take our our, uh, our brain. About um, ten percent of of the weight of our brain is just one of these fatty acids, DHA. So ten percent of the weight of our brain, obviously, if you take the water away. Ten percent of the weight of our brain is one of these fatty acids, D, DHA. Some people don't even eat fish. Yes, and it's, and it's a it's a it's a structural building block. Or take any supplements or anything. So and they. Wow, wow. I mean, and, 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 and so then people say, well, how, how do we get it then if we, don't, if, we don't, um, if we don't eat fish? Well, our bodies do have the ability to make DHA and EPA, but it's not very efficient. So we can take things, we can take plant oils that contain other types of omega-3, and we can convert a little bit of them into EPA and right, okay. uh, DHA. But it's not enough. And... Um, and it's not enough in terms of um, uh, pregnancy because yeah. um, what in fact happens during pregnancy, that's when most of the brain growth ta takes place. So most of, the, mo most of our brain growth that we have as an adult actually takes place um, during, the, during the fetal period, which is why babies tend to, when, when you see them, their head in proportion to their body is that much Huge. bigger because yeah. they've, got, you know, they, they, they've got virtually a full-size brain. Um, uh, and that brain has to grow in that, in that nine-month period. So there's a huge demand for this DHA building block. And what in fact happens, um, the DHA is sucked away from the reserves in, in the mum. So DHA, if it's not available, then it's, it's mobilized from various centers um, from the uh, mother's tissue to be diverted in, into the baby. Hence, because, you know, DHA is a building block in our, in our brain and in our neural uh, tissues. What is associated with, with women who have low levels of DHA is postpartum depressive yeah, the blues, disorder. Baby blues and all the baby that blues shit. Because yes. this DHA building block has literally been sucked taken, out of them. Sucked yeah, out yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. So, 
Um, so that's you know. So the obvious question, the, the obvious assumption: uh, supplement high dose fish oil whilst you're pregnant. Absolutely. I mean, it, uh, um, we don't. We, yes, and uh, <laughs> and you've you've touched on a very important point because it's it's very important um, to to have high levels of particularly DHA, um, but taking fish oil during uh, uh, pregnancy. And indeed, it's even more important because there is a there is a, uh, a a warning out there. Not a warning. There there is guidance, and 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 some of some of the mothers out there may be aware of this. That there's a guidance not to eat oily fish. Yeah, I know. There's, lo- there's loads of stuff. They say don't eat liver and all these things. And my don't grandmother liver, said she used to eat liver every week. That's right. So it's don't, it's don't eat oil, the big oily fish such as uh, uh, tuna and swordfish and marlin and these yeah, these we eat swordfish and, t- and marlin all the time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, uh, I yeah, I know, but, great. But 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 some people and, and also tuna. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the reason is is that these big predatory. Um, uh, fish they accumulate mercury toxins yeah so, so that's on that basis they say that rather than uh, rather yeah it's, right. it's got nothing to the in fact that, that, that's so the if you're on a fish oil with no contaminants in it no contam- that's, that, then you're that, away that's exactly it i mean right. it, it is reasonably um it is good guidance to say don't eat the the, the these large predatory, predatory fish oily fish yes. but you still need the epa and dha and the fish oil is the perfect way of doing that. Yeah. So they'll tell you to avoid fish which contain mercury, but they'll allow a pregnant woman to have mercury fillings put in during uh, pregnancy. We've got a podcast coming up about mercury in a couple of weeks <laughs> now, guys. So just a little side note on that, anyway. Um, That's very true, actually. So, so it's the irony of it all. Um, so the benefits of fish oils... Uh, obviously uh, are there to increase the um, perhaps uh, efficiency of the brain and things. Are there any other benefits then, uh, Nigel, yeah. to, to taking the fish oils? I'll just, I'll just mention that now and that is just to, 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 to finish off on that. Um, what is now known is that, is that DHA, particularly uh, DHA, but omega-3s generally during, during childhood are known to increase IQ. Yes. Um, uh, and so it, it, it is. Just going back to what I was saying about my mum giving me cod liver oil when I was a kid. I mean, there yeah. was there was a reason for that. There yeah. was a so you turn out to that. be a microbiologist. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's a clever girl. I'm giving my son a half a gallon of fish yeah, oil yeah, every yeah. day since he's been born. So look out. There you go. Look out. Einstein on the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry. So, uh, but the other the other major area where omega threes have have drawn a lot of attention is their ability to uh, prevent or to blunt the inflammatory mm. response. Perfect. Now, um, that's a, uh, and I'll say this right up front. And that is what is now known is that omega three fatty acids, EPA and DHA particularly, are our most powerful nutrients as anti-inflammatories. And they work a little bit like, um, if you like, a low-potency version of a steroidal anti-inflammatory combined with a low-potency version of a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory is like um, aspirin or uh, right. ibuprofen. Right. These are non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. And the steroidal anti-inflammatories are the, you know, the ones that you, that you uh, things like cortisone. Cortisone. Um, and, and omega-3 fatty acids and fish oils act like um, very low low potency versions of those but um, but what it means is that um, if you 've got a, a chronic inflammatory condition take 
you know, common chronic inflammatory condition, rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, that's a very severe one. It's an autoimmune In Wales, disease. it's the most common cause of death is um, inflammatory uh, diseases. Yeah, on inflammatory diseases, now what is known is that you know, most heart disease, like atherosclerosis, mm. and that's a big thing in Wales. I yeah, mean, atherosclerosis massive. and coronary heart disease. Yeah, is inflammation it? So is huge, yeah. And, and atherosclerosis is basically an inflammatory condition. It's a chronic inflammatory condition. And osteoarthritis, right, yes. you know, we think of it as being wear and tear of, of the cartilage, and it is that, but there's also, I mean, that pain is associated with an inflammatory response as well. Mm. So, you know, there's lots and lots of very common uh, uh, diseases, conditions out there that are, that, 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 if you like, are centered around the expression of the chronic inflammatory condition. And the chronic inflammatory condition is, is really an unwanted um, uh, uh, excitation and and stimulation of the inflammatory reaction. Think of the inflammatory reaction as being if you cut yourself you want an inflammatory reaction because that prevents an infection taking place and it, and, it, and it promotes healing. But if you've got something but and that's when the, the, the inflammation process is, is, is beneficial to you. It's working in your favor. Yes. What happens if you've got chronic inflammation is that you're producing that inflammatory response, the, ref, the response of, of the uh, body with no real need. And that 24 can then, 24-7. And that can produce a whole range of different symptoms. As I say, it can ultimately end up in, in cardiovascular disease, depressive d- disorders, um, you can get. Uh, um, uh, it's like allergies; they just come out in different yeah, people you, in different you, areas. And 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 some of the, if if you've got an elevated inflammatory response, the the types of symptoms that you tend to see are like you've got a very low level, almost like cold and flu. So if you think people often have chronic fatigue, they have chronic pain syndromes. They're just feeling achy a lot of the time. Yeah. So they're tired a lot, of, a lot of the time. They're depressed a lot of the time, or feel down a lot, a lot of the time. That is, if you like, what they're experiencing is this low-level chronic inflammatory condition, and that can last for years and years and years and years. Obesity even is a chronic inflammatory yes. condition, and it, and it's known that people who are obese that they produce in their body chemicals that that do produce this. You know, increased risk of depressive disorder, increased risk of cardiovascular disease, and that's where the link comes from, let's say, obesity to cardiovascular disease. It's because obesity is a chronic inflammatory condition, and it starts this whole process of, of disbalance, if you like, within the body that ends up in the expression of cardiovascular disease you know, 20, 30 years down, down the line. Mm. Now... What we're saying is that omega-3 fatty acids, that, that fish oils, that they act as anti-inflammatories. And so they can, if, you've, if you um, have a tendency um, to produce an inflammatory condition, or to produce a chronic inflammatory condition, then taking fish oils can suppress that chronic inflammatory condition and, if you like, decrease and, and, and reduce that chronic inflammatory condition. One of the things that, that's worth mentioning as we age, yeah. um, one of the things that is part and parcel of, of the aging process, even if you don't have like an overt disease like rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis, as we age, we gradually become more and more in, 
in the flame. And we can measure that. We can measure the chemicals associated with the inflammation process. So things like um, C-reactive protein. You know, these are chemicals that are associated with the expression of the inflammatory uh, uh, process. And as we age, even though, you know, for instance, I don't have any overt inflammatory uh, uh, condition, as far as I know anyway, um, but if somebody was to measure my um, uh, inflammatory markers compared to your inflammatory markers, Rich, they'd find that mine are higher than just yours. Just because of just age. Just because right. I'm 30 years, 20 yeah. years older than yeah, you. Yeah, 10, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, 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 it's, and so fish oils, and that's why they've become such a popular supplement, fish oils, um, I think, um, if you take, if you don't take any other supplement, then fish oils are absolutely essential as a, as a supplement um, for everybody, from kids right up until yeah. old age, simply because they have so many benefits, um, particularly, as I say, with this um, anti-inflammatory yeah. um, process that affects so many things. Fantastic. Great. And uh, that pretty much covers everything I wanted to speak about. And on the, the anti-inflammatory um, kind of stuff there, I wrote a, an anti-inflammatory diet containing fish oils and high-dose antioxidants, etc. So if anybody like a copy of that, then um, they can just drop me a line. As, um, a, uh, it's on the blog, basically. When you sign up, you get a copy of it. So um, that's uh, there for everybody to, to give it a try. Was there something else you want to... No, I was just saying that, that one of the things that, that's obviously very important is that is, um, is choosing the right, the right fish oil. And um, yeah. Yeah, we've done a lot in terms of, in, in terms of uh, understanding about fish oil and, and, the, and, the, um, and the best fish oils okay. out there. Yeah. And, and there, there's, there, there's a couple, Rich, that, that, that are, are well worth looking at. Okay. So what we've got um, with the... Um, fish oils it's, it's not a cod liver oil based the cod liver oil is, is a cheaper kind of uh, sourced uh, alternative or whatever but Nigel's is the finest fish oil in the world it is the most expensive to source I believe correct me if I'm wrong it's sourced from sardines in yep. the Pacific Ocean yeah um, and uh, like we suggested in the podcast it's totally filtered it doesn't have any heavy uh, metals uh, any kind of toxins and st- stuff like that no PCB contaminants all that sort of stuff it has no uh, fishy aftertaste it's got something called orange oil in it so yeah that uh, kind of uh, takes care of that so it really is a really high quality uh, fish oil so if you want that it's the same website you can go to there uh, alimontnutrition.co.uk there is a liquid and a capsule available for both of those as well right guys so there's some cracking uh, just you know when I give my clients uh, supplements I, I don't just throw loads of supplements at people what I tend to do is have a few core supplements and probiotics, vitamin C, fish oils, they are the core ones you should always start with because they're not really like a whey protein or uh, stuff like that or creatine. These are more health supplements so they are actually going to address the situation at its root level uh, or address the issue from its root level. So some cracking stuff there, really covered. I do have one last question. I got scribbled at the bottom of my page here for a chap I know called Paul. He's got leaky gut and he messaged me earlier and he said, um, 
Oh, he put a message up earlier, sorry, asking how do you test for leaky gut, because he thinks he might have it. Okay, um, there's a number of different tests um, for leaky gut. You can, you can look, um, uh, it, it's more of a sort of doctor's test. You can look at taking, let's say, um, a soluble fibre, and um, uh, and if we if the in soluble fiber if that's found in in the urine for instance then it means that you shouldn't be absorbed but you've you passed through the is absorbed so it's passed through, through the through gut. gut right um, uh, but there's there are there are two things if you've got leaky gut um, and in fact antibiotics are, are a major cause, cause of, of it of yes. leaky gut but there are there are there are two nutrients that that are um, uh, particularly Im important in terms of maintaining the integrity of the gut in the upper intestinal tract, so in the duodenum, jejunum, and ileum. Glutamine is, and you mean, need to be taking that if you think you've got leaky gut, you need to be taking that at between 5 and 10 grams a day. Right. Um, and in the lower GI tract, so the cecum and the colon, it's not glutamine then, it's soluble fiber. And soluble fiber, what that does, it's converted by the microflora into what we call short-chain fatty acids, so butyrates, acetates, and propionates. And the reason that these, in, that these nutrients are very important is that they're the food for the lining of the gut. And so if you can provide lots of food for the lining of the yeah. gut, the lining of the gut replaces itself very, very quickly. It's the yeah. fastest... Yeah. Of the uh, body. So, if you can provide the right food, then the gut will start to replace and repair itself uh, relatively quickly and relatively easily. You've just got to make sure that you get those critical nu nutrients in. So, again, it's glutamine in the upper GI tract and soluble fiber in the So, GI even if he has got it, uh, you don't really need to get it diagnosed. You can just you could try that, uh, try and, and that will, probably in the meantime, sort of thing. Right, okay, so, soluble fiber, Fantastic just advice. things like FOS, um, inulin, that's the type of soluble right. fiber that you want okay. to use. Thank you very much, Nigel. Uh, thanks for all the, the tips and advice for everybody today. Just to let everybody know, the podcast uh, and the notes are available on the blog at uh, richard clark.co.uk got any questions or comments uh, for the doctor uh, Mark and, and I to answer on the next Q&A just email them in to me at info at richard-clark.co.uk and on the next episode I'll be uh, announcing the winners of the different competitions we've been running so that's bye from me Richard Clark and bye from me Nigel Plummer thank you thank you very much bye now you, me, and the GP radio show is intended for general information purposes and is not meant to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. It is not designed to provide specific advice, and anyone with a medical problem should seek the advice from their own doctor. Please note we accept absolutely no responsibility if you turn into a fitter, stronger, more energetic, and all round better version of yourself. To get the show notes, just head on over to richard-clark.co.uk.